take the data that you're getting and you want to marry it with the people that have that expertise because data doesn't do anything. We talk about data being the new oil. If I gave you a cup of oil, it doesn't do anything. Welcome to the Data Chief. Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Today's guest is Chris Powers, Senior Vice President and Global Product Manager of Business Data Analytics and Digital Innovations at Citigroup. On this episode, Chris and Cindy discuss data literacy as a thought process that is nurtured by a good old-fashioned willingness to take things apart and put them back together again what common data sense is, and how it can be taught to people without shaming them, and why the five whys are an invaluable multi-tool that can be applied to solve almost any problem. They also examine the real and counterintuitive purpose of self-service, and why even if the customer knows what they want, it's your job to help them reach it. Plus, Cindy and Chris explain why data's role as the new oil is only as good as knowing what engine can use it. All that and more on today's episode with Chris Powers. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Today on The Data Chief, I am joined by Chris Powers from beautiful Tampa, Florida. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Cindy. It's great to be here. Well, you know, Florida is my favorite place, especially in winter. (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. Let's compare notes in July, shall we? Yes, yes, yes. So, Chris, you have had an illustrious career in data and analytics at Citigroup for decades now. Tell us how you landed at Citigroup. Oh, that was quite a journey, actually. So, you know, my mom was always uh, supportive, but was like, just get a degree, right? That was the goal. Get a degree in something, learn something, do what you want. She just wanted me to be happy. So, of course, that took me. It took me 10 years to figure out what I wanted to do. But so basically I was in probably the last 10 or 15 years before I even got to city, I was in sales. Um, and it was all, you know, sales manager, teams, retail. And I never understood what working for the weekend was, right? Cause that was, you know, if you're, if you're in sales or dealing with the public, you're not looking forward to the weekend because that's your busy time, right? So I didn't know how to get into an office job or some other type of work, but I went to a temp agency and I said, I need some office skills, right? I need to start learning how to get into uh, these office jobs. And they actually tempt me with City, And that was 25 years ago. So. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> well, I want you to keep in mind, people who listen to this podcast, some are data leaders already, but some are just starting out. So oh, how inspiring to go from a client service rep to now an SVP in the innovation group. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that was that was quite a journey too. You know, I think a lot of it just starts with 
who you are as a person, right? Your inquisitiveness, your, the way you think and look at things. So it even started before I got to city. So like, for example, when I was, when I was two, I started playing the piano, right? And nobody taught me how to play the piano. And then it, it was my birthday. My mom tells the story because I don't remember, but, uh, they had just sung happy birthday to me and they all went into the kitchen to get the cake. Then the next thing you know, someone's playing happy birthday on the piano. They're like, who's playing the piano? We're all in here. And they come out and there I am playing my own happy birthday on the piano. Wow. Wow. So and you so, have a good ear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, by the time I was four, I was taking the television apart and putting all the transistors and tubes and stuff on the floor. And, you know, and, and, and mom was just like, you know, well, when you put it back together, it just better work. You know, there was no scolding. So I think that encouragement helped too at an early age. It didn't always work out though, right? She bought, oh, I have a talented kid. Let me get him a drum set. And of course I poked holes in it to see where, <laughs> where the sound is coming from. Okay. So, uh, so a different touch required for drums versus piano. But you know, yes. it, it's, there, there's two things that I find fascinating about this that seems to be a recurring theme. There's a number of people in the data and analytics space where uh, their hobby or, you know, their other passion is music and then also curiosity. Yes. You know, when I got my first car, it was like, well, how does this thing work? And I took that thing apart. Right. And I'm just, they're like, well, by that time they're like, well, that's just Chris, right? Bought his first car. And the first thing he does is he has all the parts all over the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I put it together and, and then of course the car works, but here I am all these years later, right. Coming into city as a, as a client service officer and clients to ask questions about what's happening in the world and of their transactions and their service that we provide. And I, I'm like trying to take that apart. I'm like, well, why are they asking these questions? Right. And I didn't realize for most of my journey that I was on a path of, of like data literacy and understanding how things work. But, you know, the ultimate goal is, is for people and for our clients and in general, anybody that's in the data space is for, the people who need those insights to get them. But if you don't understand what they need the insights for or how everything breaks down, then it's, you know, you're just shifting data from one point to another without actually understanding the mechanics behind it. And that's not, you know, knowing how to read a graph isn't, isn't a data literacy. It, it that's, it's a, it's a skill, but it's not necessarily understanding what action you need to take when you see it or where that data is coming from. And you have to be inquisitive to interrogate your data, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, so you you talk about pulling apart cars. I, I can't pull <laughs> apart cars, but I can, I can pull apart computers. Um, and you shared with me a story about pulling apart VCRs and, and how that mindset, that service mindset, shaped the way you interact with business people in getting to their true data and analytics requirements. Can you talk about that? Oh yeah. I, I, you know, there's things that stay with me over the years, uh, odd things. And one of them was an, an incident with a VCR where a customer had come in and they were looking for VCRs and I was trying to help them find, you know, it's like, Oh, they're over here against the wall by the TVs. And, the, and then after five or 10 minutes of them wandering around at the VCRs, they came back to me and they said, uh, I don't see any VCR tapes. And I was like, well, we had them by the register. Like in most places you check out, those are add-ons, right? 
You know, every every register you go to, there's something there like gum or a candy bar, or in our case, there was the audio tape. So it, that was my first recollection of somebody asking for something that wasn't what they wanted. They didn't know. They knew what they wanted, but they what they asked me made me give them something they weren't asking for. So it made me realize that what you hear and when you engage in, in the requirements or the insights that people are driving to, um, and even today, like the, the business knows what they need to do, but they might not be asking for the right thing. And you have to be inquisitive. You have to go down that path of the five whys, right? Why do you need this data? Oh, because we have this report. What do you do with the report? Well, we give it to this person. What does that person do with the report? Oh, well, they take these figures and they go implement this strategy. And how do you know if that was successful, right? Oh, well, we, we measure A against B. So what you really need for me is A against B. And now I can go tell you how you get A against B. Same thing with like, oh, you need those VCRs, right? Yeah, or yeah. you need to change your process. What I did in that VCR example is I went to management. And I said, you know, this isn't the first customer that's come in and asked for uh, VCR tapes. And they're just making an assumption that it's next to VCRs. Why do we always have them at the register? We should put them over next to the VCRs where the customers think they are. Yeah. We did that. And the following month, we had like a 480% increase in, in sales. And then the district wants to know, what is this store doing around? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you're going to lead us down a, a, a rabbit hole here, Chris, because in college, I was a manager of a video store. So we could really, <laughs> I don't think you knew that. So we could really no, no. Uh, stay on this. I won't though. I'm going to go back to though, the five whys. Yeah. And yet... So clearly you have good uh, critical thinking skills, communication skills. And some people have said to me, yeah, when we ask too many questions, the business gets annoyed with us. So one is, do you think this is an innate skill or is it something that everyone can grow and build? And how do you handle pushback when you ask too many whys? For some people, it is innate. For other people, it is not. I think, first and foremost, it really has to do with uh, the culture, right? Because if you come from a, a blame-driven culture or you're under pressure, you know, uh, and you just need to get to the top of the leaderboard or you just need to know what action to take, there's a sense of urgency or a, you know, a strategy where you just need what you need right now. So when you try to take that time to go down the five whys, they get that feeling of, you know, well, you're wasting my time. I just, just give me what I'm asking for. Right. Yeah. So to address that, sometimes it's not always the, the five whys, um, sometimes just making it into like the five hows or just changing the words. Like I had read in a lot of the leadership training that the phrase, how might we really works well because First of all, the we puts you together on, in the same group, right? You have to create a sense of urgency. You have to let them know you're on their side, right? Because you're both trying to get to the same thing. So how might we find a way to give you your end result so that you don't have to do the work? I can't tell you the number of times that what people want is a data dump, 
right? Just give me the data. That's Wait, what they I don't need. want that. They don't really want that. <laughs> no. Back to your point, that's right. what they asked for, but that's not what they want. No, no. And they want it so they can go through all of their steps of, well, I'm going to get it, then I'm going to give it to my admin, and they're going to do some pivot tables, and then they're going to put it into a PowerPoint so that we can have our meeting with our bosses so we can say this is what we did. So sometimes you can't take them on the journey. You have to get to the destination, right? My mom's perfect example of that. Sorry, mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if listening. But I can't, you know, that, that phrase, uh, give a man a fish and then he yes. eats and teach him how to fish and then yeah. he's never, something like that. Uh, that's not how my mom and I work together. So when, when she has a, she'll lose an icon on the, on, on her desktop, right? And, uh, she'll ask me to put it back, but I cannot show her how to put your shortcuts on the desktop. She just wants she you to just do it. She just wants me to do it. So, so I do it and she yeah. gets it, right? Sometimes you have to do that same thing in the business. It's like, sometimes I will ask them, well, show me your end result. Show me that PowerPoint slide, right? And maybe I don't have to give, uh, interrogate them, right? For the five whys. Uh, show me what your end state is. Let me look at that and let me see what I can do to give you that. Oh, okay. That kind of skips that. You're still accomplishing the same thing, but you kind of skip the, the, you know, don't ask me a thousand questions because each level of that why, <laughs> sometimes you never get to that fifth why <laughs> because right, there, there's right. no patience there, right? So you get to, well, one of my uh, guests on the data chief called this the data death march and like PowerPoint is where data goes to die. And how do we, how do we break that and get to a better place? So are you saying, well, keep that process or use that end result to better inform the requirements? Yeah, I think, I think it's important to realize that the reason you're asking the five whys is to make sure you understand, right? You yourself understand the requirements that they might not be necessarily articulating to make sure you're going to deliver what they're asking for. So the goal isn't necessarily to interrogate them. The goal is to make sure you understand the requirements, right? And those five whys is one way to do it. If you can go down that data march in a more, uh, shall we say, you know, skip down the, the road yeah. together, yeah, right? Which is usually why I try to start the five whys by jumping to the end state, right? And then, and work my way backwards. So what, what, who gets this and where does it go? And what's your, What's your ultimate need? Oh, we need, we need this report for senior management. Okay. And you get the data from where for that report, right? I kind of work my way backwards instead of, oh, I need this data dump, right? It's like, try to help them with their process, not just with getting it, right? Right. So then if you think this report then ultimately goes to senior management, what is your view on self-service analytics or actually teaching those senior managers to do their own fishing, as you used that analogy. <laughs> yes. That's a that's very, and I have an interesting opinion on that because for the last several years, I've been on that self-service journey, even with our clients, right? Nobody wants to take the steps in between. They just want to get the data. I am not convinced that we've reached a point where self-service would be successful because if you gave me, I know how to drive a car, right? But if you put me on a racetrack and gave me a Formula One car, I'm not driving it. <laughs> or if I am, I'm going 40 miles an hour around the curve, right? I don't have that skill set. So 
I think self-service, I think we need to build up the, the, the data literacy or the skill of working with your data and understanding your data so that you can be self-service. I believe we'll probably go forward more with self-service, but then kind of leapfrog into an interrogation of your data, more like having a conversation with your data. There's a lot of spaces out there where you can have a conversation with your data and say, hey, I need to know this, but you don't necessarily need to know how to interrogate the platform or how to understand how to build the tools you need or even how to extract your own data, right? Yeah, yeah. When I talk about self-service with customers, I talk about how, I mean, one of the surefire ways to kill it is start with a blank page. That can be very overwhelming for a non-data professional. So give them a starting point. And yeah, maybe they learn by interrogating first and and then going further. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me too, you said start with the being overwhelmed with a page. A blank page. A blank page. An empty page. An empty page, yes. Uh, And I was actually the opposite. I was overwhelmed with one of the stories I tell all the time. I came home from school and I sat there for two hours trying to do my homework. There were just 12 questions on the page and I couldn't, I couldn't even do the first one because I was overwhelmed too much. I didn't realize at the time, but it was sort of like, I guess there's a thing like data anxiety, right? There's so much in front of me. I don't know what to do. Like, so I can't start. Right. And, uh, love my mom. You know, she was a teacher for many, many, many years. And, um, you know, she likes to joke that I was the experiment, but, uh, the successful <laughs> experiment, but she came over and she looked and she realized what was happening to me. And she took two pieces of paper and she covered up the 11 other problems and said, just do that one. I was like, Oh, okay. And then I was like, Oh, you know, 11 plus whatever. And I did that one. And then she shifted the paper around and said, just do number two. Okay. And by the time I had finished the first row, she took the sheets of paper away and she said, look how much you did. And I, just could not imagine I had done that much. And from that day on to this day, I teach my team, my people, my colleagues, my friends, when they're overwhelmed, do the same thing, cover up all the parts and just break it down. What's the one thing you need to do now? What's the second thing you need to do now? And, uh, and I take that same approach with, with clients and their needs or people that are looking for that data dump. Um, because, you know, data is not just that one graph, right? It's the whole encompassing thing. So break it down, start small, yeah. build St- pieces, right? Start small. I always <laughs> say start small, but have that bigger vision in mind so that it's not just throw away one-offs. Um, but start small, build your skills, um, change the processes. That's great. So you know, Citigroup is so large, um, so many different sectors. Tell me from the financial services perspective, what are the top data sets or business questions that you work with? Yes, it's, it's quite a different thing to be in such a large organization. Being a global bank, you know, one of the biggest things is the fact that you have global data. So the number one thing that, that is pretty much drives most businesses is how, how you're servicing your clients. So the biggest data that we have to deal with is what are we doing in the different spaces in the different markets? Uh, our clients want to know how they're doing, how they're performing, where, where are transactions, where's, you know, if they're moving into new markets, out of markets, uh, how to move things between markets. I mean, everything you could possibly think of from a financial perspective is, 
is there and is generating data, right? Yeah. So, so are we talking equities, credit card transactions, or um, are you handling all of that, or is there one main area? Yeah. So your- for me, I'm I'm in the equity security services business um, under markets. So in that space, um, you know, our clients are other financial institutions. You know, so we're in, um, and we're helping them help their clients. So the data that we are dealing with is is their data to basically provide them, you know, their client experience is how well are they doing because that directly impacts their clients. And of course, their clients have their clients and so forth. So so the data that we deal with is equities, securities, prime, futures, Delta One, uh, security services, markets. So all of that data uh, helps our clients help their clients. And that's kind of what that's the kind of space that we're we're in or yeah. I'm in personally. Yeah. So you're also are you also looking at the earlier signals when markets are moving faster than normal or um you know new sectors that are changing? Yes, all the time. All the time, especially with, you know, every little thing that happens around the world um and even at home, you know, contributes to movements around the market or new players enter uh, or players leave, you know, everything has a direct impact. And then you see that in the data. So the more that you can interrogate your data and understand, you know, what happens if uh, volumes are increasing or decreasing in a particular market. Since I sit in the client experience space, one of the things we would look at is something as simple as a client starts asking more questions about a market that they haven't asked questions about before. Well, instead of letting that continue to happen, if you can see that in your analytics, you can proactively go back to your client and say, hey, I notice there's a trend here. You're having more questions about this market. Let's get the account manager from that market in touch with the client and see what's going on, right? And proactively provide that that level of customer service, right? Yeah. So can you give us an example from 2020? Are you allowed to share that level of detail? Like, were you seeing a spike in demand in plastics and masks and what have you before everyone else was? I would, I would love to give you that example. <laughs> I would, I would love to tell you how successful we were with us, with any particular innovations. I actually don't sit in that space. Okay, so I okay. Don't have, I don't have it. I can tell you from from customer service perspective. The example that I just gave of noticing more queries in certain countries than others has resulted in place where e- even talking with some of the partners in the industry, the, you know, there's always this concept of self-service mm-hmm. and the goal of self-service is really is to get that data to the person who needs it as quickly as possible. But a lot of people misconstrued that as to reducing client touch points, right? You actually want to increase client touch points because the you just look at your data, the more you communicate with your clients, the better your MPS scores are, right? You have higher levels of customer satisfaction, the more you actually talk to your customers. And if you just think about our own day-to-day lives, how many times do you go someplace or you shop online or you're waiting someplace to try to do something and you're not getting the attention that you want, or you can't find a salesperson, or, you know, even if it's self-service, I can grab something off the shelf and go scan it, or... And and now times I can go to, you know, on my app and order something if I'm not going anywhere. Right. And if it doesn't show up or there's a delay or my order gets canceled because the store is backed up, that's all fewer 
touch points, right? So for me, the success story we have actually literally in, in our space was looking at our analytics around customer service and blending them together, client complaints, temperature checks, volume of queries, anything that goes on in that space. If you can figure out how to solve, get the information that the clients need to the clients as quickly as possible so that you have the time to spend making the touch point with the client about the things that are impacting them, like the new markets or the new queries or things like that, then you're actually reducing your overhead and supplementing it with hand-holding your clients and providing better service by understanding that, that type of data. Yeah. So bringing the data together from multiple systems to improve customer service. I, I think this exactly. is the number one use case. We All of us, we only mm-hmm. exist because of our customers, really. Exactly. So you mentioned like NPS scores as, as one pr- particular data set. Talk us through the process that you would use to bring in new data, but ultimately get it in the hands of the decision maker. Yeah. So uh, whether you're onboarding a client or you already have a client, you start generating from the beginning data, right and left, you know, whether what markets are people going to be in, you know, what are their needs, what industry are our clients participating in. That in itself is just an expertise to apply as well. You know, we talk a lot about data literacy, but there's domain expertise too, right? So you may have particular knowledge about a particular market with specific data for that market. So what you want to do is you want to take the data that you're getting and you want to marry it with the people that have that expertise because data doesn't do anything, right? We talk about data being the new oil. If I gave you a cup of oil, <laughs> it doesn't do anything, right? You've got to do something with that. Um, so we would take that data and we would start looking at, for example, you want to, if you have other similar data from other similar clients, or you have trends in the market that have already happened, right? I mean, I live in Florida, so we look at hurricanes, right? Every time another tropical storm's coming, we look at the hurricane, and the, what's the first thing they do? They throw up the spaghetti models on the screen. Yep, and they whose say, model's right, yeah. <laughs> whose yeah. model's right? And the same thing happens in business too, right? It's like, okay, I've got a client who's going into Brazil, and they're, they're a fund manager. And Well, it's like, okay, but if we have lots of fund managers in Brazil – we at least have some idea. So local domain, yes. business domain, yeah. that market, that vertical, that geography. So giving context to that data, then yep. it sounds like you're saying is important. Yes. And that's where your people come into play, which is why it's so important to focus the data skills on the people because you got one data is very complicated when you have a lot of it. And two, you need tools to use that data so that you can keep it simple for the people to get the insights. And so like data doesn't do anything unless you put it in the hands of people. Then the people have to apply their expertise with that data. And that's where you get your insights and your value, right? Yeah. And so the domain expertise is important as well. Very much. So you also are charged with innovation at Citigroup. So let's talk tech a little bit. So storage of this data, cloud (laughs) or on-premises, um, I'm sure it's, uh, well, most of it is on premises, um, naturally for, for probably most banks and financial institutions for security and privacy reasons. Historically speaking. Historically. Yes. yes, yes. Historically speaking. Uh, 
what what's your future? <laughs> yeah, I, I think cloud is inevitable for, for most people, but there has to be, I mean, you know, every time you turn on the news and there's another story about a data breach or a hack or, you know, something happened in the cloud, that always brings it back to the forefront is, well, what happens if you put my data in the cloud? So I think we will get there. There are ways to mitigate that, you know, not sharing your environment, making sure that you're you're secure there. So I think it, I think cloud is going to go hand in hand with security. Um, and for the most part, you're always going to have stuff on prem. You'll have some stuff in cloud. So I think you know in the immediate future, you're going to see a lot of hybrid solutions. Yeah. Well, hybrid is the way to get there. Yeah. There's that transition phase. Ironically, or or maybe unexpectedly, most of the data breaches have been on premises. Mm-hmm. There have been a, a couple in the cloud. We don't need to beat a dead horse on <laughs> who right. those are, but yes, uh, yes. a few in and financial services. But that's um, true. Yeah, you gotta yeah. have. You gotta mitigate your bad actors. Even personally, if you if you buy a router and you install it in your home, you know, please change the password from password and admin <laughs> to yes, something else. Yes, I do. Uh, Novell <laughs> Network Engineer, trust me. Yeah, we did that. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, technology hybrid cloud inevitable. What about where do you model the data? What's your role of a data lake modeled data warehouse? Where is Citigroup on that journey? Uh, well, from being uh, such a big organization, <laughs> the, the honest answer is we're, we're everywhere in that, in that journey, right? So in some businesses, you know, we're still on data warehouses and other businesses were on data lakes. Um, you know, there's Streaming analytics, which means you need the performance and you need to ingest it into, into memory. Um, then you also have, you know, there's all the ad hoc processes that continue to exist that may not take advantage, you know, may not sit in that space. So I would, I would say it's, it's being very driven by one, the needs of clients, obviously, um, because they need, they need data. Also that the insights we talked about earlier, you can't wait three days to find out what's happening, you know, happening in a particular market or, but you pretty much have to have, uh, it's use case driven, right? So I have this scenario that requires this outcome back to those five whys, right? If you know what you're trying to achieve, you know, I used to always say, and, and I'm kind of torn on this because I, I've seen it. So both many different ways, uh, even through the Gardner pyramid and, you know, it's like, start with your data, Right. And uh, I just went through, a, you know, a MIT analytics course, you know, because that's another thing you got to keep your skills up and and grow. But it's like a lot of people say, oh, start with the data, start with the data. And it's like, OK, but there, there's that unspoken, you know, it's not always in the foundation that you know what your outcome is when you're yeah. interrogating your data. So, so please tell me <laughs> MIT was not saying start with your data. Please tell me <laughs> no. they were saying start with the business outcomes. Start with the business outcome, exactly. Okay, good. Did they yes. say that? Otherwise, <laughs> I ha- I, we must talk. Yes. No, <laughs> okay, no, good. that's exactly, exactly. Start start with your, you know, your target variable. What are you oh, trying or, to achieve? Yeah. And then find what data brings you to, to that. Um, yeah, but, although, although, although. Let, let's, let's be nice. You know, yes. let, let's recognize that the industry has come on a journey. Sometimes if you don't have that vocabulary or that interest, mm-hmm. 
then yeah, maybe you start with the data you have, you show the art of the possible, and then you go back and say, all right, we can't chase every opportunity. So let's look at the business outcomes and work back. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I, I think it's really, it's really use case driven because you might have data that you've already interrogated and you're trying to figure out something about what your data is telling you. Right. And then you may have a, a question that you need answered and then you're going to go down to find out what data is going to answer that question. So yeah. I think you actually kind of approach it from both sides, depending on the, what you're trying to solve for. Right? Yeah. So this is the data use case driven. Let's talk the our favorite, the BI and analytics tools. And <laughs> and maybe we'll we'll go back in time a little bit. I suspect you and I met at a Click conference at Probably. one point. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. 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 So you are a Click luminary. Yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> Proudly. Proudly. Yeah. Actually, I was uh, pretty honored. I, I always thought that you had to be, I never even thought I could be one because I always thought it was, uh, some, uh, it was like a, a symbol of like a technical expertise, right? You know, like, oh, you're the, you're the massive dashboard guru, you know, who's building all these things and you can do things that nobody knows about. Right. And then of course I, I had my eyes open and realized that, you know, it was like they say luminary, right? It, it's more about basically everything we've been talking about, right? It's all encompassed together. So, uh, yes, that's kind of where I, I started my BI journey was around the click and the connections and meeting people like yourself at these yeah, events. Yeah. I'm like, oh, and I just naturally gravitated that way. Yeah. Well, click, I mean, click disrupted, let's say, the first generation uh, BI tools, business objects, Cognos. Even information builders, if we want to go back that far, yeah, um, yeah. so so a pioneer in that space. You also have championed bringing ThoughtSpot into Citigroup and launched the ThoughtSpot User Group in Tampa. Yes, yes. So that was fun. And our 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 good friends at SME and ourselves. There was like I'm. No one can see, but I'm wearing my. my, my oh, ThoughtSpot thank you for doing that. Yes, yes I'm oh. wearing my. My okay. members, founding member. Oh, I know. love that. I haven't seen them. Now you're going to have to like take a selfie and post it. And I can't wait to tell our head of community, Paula yeah. and, and uh, you know, Chris and Brian from SME Group. We're, yeah. We love our partners there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that kind of goes into where I was, we were talking earlier about self-service, right? It's like, um, click. We are, you know, pretty much if you name a BI tool, it's in city somewhere and it's heavily used, right? Um, my experience with click is that, you know, um, you know, we have a saying the point and click is not a common skill set. So as people are on that journey, they learn how to interrogate their dashboards. And I think one of those, you know, evolutionary jumps in, in BI is being able to have that conversation. So like you mentioned ThoughtSpot and that was what was intriguing to us too was like, well, if I don't know how to filter drill and, and if I'm not an expert with my data, and I'm not even sure, you know, how to slice what I want to slice by, but I know the question that I want to ask. Well, then I can ask the question and get the results back and then interrogate those results. So I think the, the, that's really how you promote a data driven culture is it, you have to realize it's not a one size fit all solution. Everybody has a different way of interrogating their data, different use cases. So you're going to have. You know, I, I can I can hammer in a nail with a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The right tool. Well, I say the right tool for the right user and use case. Exactly. But some, if somebody were to push back and say, "Well, we don't need another BI tool. 
How would you answer that? How do you make the case for innovation? Yeah, yeah, that's the big, you always have to start with what you're solving for, right? Um, in fact, just good practices, if you have a tool and you need that tool to do something, the first thing you want to do is look at the tools you already have. And are you taking advantage of what you have? And are you using those tools to solve that problem? And if not, then what's the differentiator between the tools that allow you to have that well-rounded toolkit? So if, uh, you know, most people who have their garage full of tools, uh, they didn't go out and buy all the tools and say, okay, I'm going to put 50 tools on my wall for every scenario. They start off with, you know, the hammer, the wrench, the screwdrivers, the drills, and, and that. And then eventually they expand into, you know, other things that solve their use cases, even around the house. Uh, I needed a hacksaw to fix my sprinklers the other day, right? <laughs> I can't go out there with a pair of <laughs> Oh, no, <laughs> I'd be calling somebody. Sorry. Uh, 1-800. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Yeah. So when you get pushback, it's sort of like, but again, you know, it's the five whys on the pushback as well. If you're pushing back because it's a, it's a, you know, financial consideration, then that's a different conversation than if it's a pushback because you think one solution is better than another. And again, that's another aspect of, you know, I keep mentioning data literacy, but, you know, that's another aspect of being able to argue with data, right? So if you get that pushback, it can't be protectionism. It can't be one tool over another uh, because you're in, you know, invested in that tool emotionally. Uh, it has but to that's be around, real. It is real. Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, there is. It is. And is it protectionism or is it fear of, well, maybe I'm not needed anymore or I'm not the all powerful or I have yes. invested 10 years in this technology yep. and now you're telling me it's not state of the art or, or what are we going to do here? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the key where, you know, in, in pretty much any industry as you're automating, you know, we keep seeing the title, like the robots are coming for our jobs, right? The robots are coming for our jobs. Yeah. I don't know um, about that. I don't, <laughs> I, and, and we're watching this movie next or this TV show, which is like horrible AI, evil AI. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I mean, you know, you look at, uh, that's, that's where the people come in, right? You can't, uh, you can't just use the data if you don't have your people. So a perfect, perfect example, even in, in our own journey on our own team is, you know, where you're, you're constantly dealing with data around the client and then you start to automate some of the things that you used to do so that you don't have to do them anymore. But then how do you automate that if you don't understand the data? Well, the person who understands that data the most is the person who was doing it. So you bring that person on the journey with you and you make them the experts because I can hire a data scientist who doesn't know financial markets, but they know machine learning and AI and all the techniques and they will build the requirements that you give them. And as we've discovered before, they may give you a VCR, but what you wanted was the tape. Was the tape. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you need to bring those people along with you on the journey. And elevate them. Elevate them. And you want to give them a career path too. You know, there's always going to be uh, people on the ground that need to do certain functions. And then there's always going to be people that want a career path. I mean, we, we joke that, you know, what's your job? And they say, oh, Outlook. <laughs> that's if people can see your face hopefully they would not <laughs> oh sorry yeah i have no i have no poker face <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but you don't want your job to be copy paste either 
right? Yeah. If, if that's yeah. what you do, I take the data from this machine, I put it into this spreadsheet and we put it into this PowerPoint and I do that every month. It's like, well, then you're the most intimate, knowledge person about the data in that process. So if we automate that process, we should elevate you and bring you along that journey so and that you can make us successful and then improve that process. Yeah. Work right? on the higher value things, whether it's right. more data, more impactful insights. So when you think about these two technologies in, in your portfolio, um, what were you, what was the problem you were trying to solve? You said for innovation, it's what are you trying to optimize for? Yeah. So, you know, trying to bring the data to the people or the people to the data, whichever direction that you're going in is you start with you having the data, looking at it, making decisions. And those decisions bring up more questions. So what you want to do is figure out what questions are you not asking that you should be, right? And that's where you look at the tools and you say, okay, you know, the business comes, they ask for data, we get the data, we give it to them. Then they can make sure that they're delivering what we promised to the client. They can make sure that our KPIs are where we expect them to be. But then you can start looking at things that you may not have thought about and start drilling down into that data. So one of the things we're trying to solve for is with a large amount of data, what are things we're not asking of our data where we can get some insights today that we didn't think about yesterday that allows us to do something new tomorrow, right? Yeah. And and if somebody says, yeah, but I'm a little bit, I don't know, can't you just do it for me, Chris? Or <laughs> I like being spoon-fed my PowerPoints or Excel reports or dashboards. Yes, uh, we do get that. We get that a lot along the journey. Um, and I think some people, uh, I don't know, you know, probably the people listening are, for, are familiar with, you know, uh, their own experiences and how they how they solve that problem. Or, uh, But one of the things I notice is that as you're trying to move down that journey and you're trying to bring these people with you, you're on the journey too. You're not watching them go by on the trail, right? You're walking down the trail with them. So if I have to do it for you, there may be use cases where, you know, if you're on the front line trenches and your entire day is 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 designed about putting out fires. You may not be the one, you may have that domain expertise, but you may not have the luxury of sitting down and stopping what you're doing for an hour and a half to go interrogate something to find a better way to do it. They rely on us to do that. But if I'm empowered with the same tools that we're trying to give them, then I can do it too, right? So I might not have their domain expertise, but if I understand what their pain points are, it's a possibility that I can do it for you and give you what you need. And then I gain insights from what I did and still continue all of us down the journey yeah. at the same time. Right. Or you once said to me, if I build it for you, it'll probably be wrong. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> better, better to do it yourself. Um, you've, you've mentioned data literacy a couple of times and I know mm -hmm. this is a passion and a, and a charge uh, for you. Yeah. Tell us how you are improving data literacy at Citigroup and really with a goal for the industry overall. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really, really where I, it was sort of like the passion. It wasn't something I knew to do up front. It, was, it wasn't like, I'm going to go do this, right? It was more like, this is happening. <laughs> and how can we make it happen more? And I just got more involved and more involved. So 
you know, connecting with yourselves with Click and, and Thoughts by Now. And, and um, that's kind of where I started the, you know, the Tampa Click meetup group was like, well, let me get out there and see what's going on and what are other people doing, right? So the first part was like really educating myself around that. But, you know, data literacy is, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's like, well, like my wife's an English major, right? Uh, graduate. Me and, too. Oh, very good. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. And uh, uh, so you know as well that there's very there's there's disciplines, right? You might be in 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 grammar or literature or you know there's all these different avenues, right? And I, I, data is really the same way. So I kind of approach it from uh, a different aspect. Is that you need to start with first the people connection. You got to build. You got to connect, right? And inspire. Um, you have to eliminate the fear of learning something new. One of my sales jobs was selling pianos and organs because I played pianos. I was like, well, I know how to do that. And of course I was in sales. So, but I was more interested in helping the customer than getting up on the leaderboard. So, right. you know, I, yeah. I didn't, yeah. didn't like that. But that, the first thing I would do is, you know, I would sit somebody down. Our average age was 70, right? Because they retire, have disposable income. They've always wanted to play. Now they have the time and they have the money. So they would come in and they would want to learn how to play. So the first thing I would do is sit them down and nerves, fear. It's something new. I don't know how to do this. And sometimes they would leave the store. So I started, I would take their hand and I would bang it on the keyboard and they would like try to pull their hand away. And the first thing I was trying to teach them was that you can't hurt it by making a mistake, right? That don't be afraid of the instrument. And every single one of the next step, uh, right after I did that, the first thing they would do without even thinking about it is they would put their hands on the keyboard. Yeah. So it's a start. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. But so, so of course, yeah, I would say you can't hurt anything with data in running a bad query, asking a wrong question. But if you make a decision, then that's where you can run into problems. So, so bringing people on that journey at first, uh, so like, for example, we brought in, uh, we bring in different vendors and we do workshops with, with um, you know, with our employees and things of that nature. And we do virtuals, uh, virtual workshops. In fact, the, the ThoughtSpot one is coming up, the Click one is coming up. So we do those and we try to show people how they can work with their own data so that they understand it is a journey that they can take, right? So if you can keep it simple, or as I like to call it, common data sense, right? We all have common sense, but we don't always have common data sense. Like, should I be doing it this way or that way? Um, and and then you, you build that trust. And then once you have the trust, you can, the journey's much easier, right? Right, right. So you do these analytics days to try to improve data literacy. And I always think of it as, um, two aspects. There's the technical literacy. How do you work with the tool? But then there's really understanding your, your data. So if mm-hmm. you're entering a new market, you know, what are the transactions looking like in Brazil versus in the U.S.? You need to have that domain knowledge. How do you work on upskilling the domain knowledge? Is it um, periodic classes, lunch and learns, Zooms now? Um, how do yes. you handle that? Uh, all of the above. Okay. Of the above. Does one um, work better more than the other? 
Well, uh, you know, one of the things they teach you, <laughs> and we didn't go through my, uh, my, my college career history, but I did spend some time in teaching first grade and third grade. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, I don't think I saw that on LinkedIn. So that's all right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, it's, well, you, you mentioned like the fear of the piano. There was a stat, I'm going to forget who created it now, but um, something like 62% of business people are afraid to work with data. They don't want to look dumb. Right. And yet, and yet the world is saying, got to be data driven. And yet they don't want to look dumb. Yes, exactly. So from the, from the education standpoint, you know, they always teach you that people learn in different ways. Some mm-hmm. people need to see it. Some people need to put their hands on it. And some people can just listen and, and absorb it. So when you're doing the same thing with data, you got to have the same approach, right? You got to be able to, uh, to account for those things. And the larger your population is, the more chances are you're going to have larger groups of people that learn different ways. So what we try to do is like in the workshops that we would do, we had visual aids, we had handouts, things people could see and write on. We did a dashboard in a day where we actually set up an environment so people could actually get their hands on and build the dashboard with nobody, you know, the only people standing next to them were people that were there to help them, right? Rather than judge them for doing something wrong. And then, you know, socialize the the different webinars and the conventions that come out and, you know, where they can go to, like every vendor has a site. <laughs> so yeah. whatever platform you're on, you can go to that site, join those communities. But we also have a community inside too. So oh, good. So, we, so tell we, us about that community. Does it have a name? Does it have a cool name? And how often <laughs> does the community meet up? So we have, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's like Facebook, but it's like Facebook. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's easy to know. So we have we have collaborate that's open to all employees across the entire bank, and there's lots and lots and lots of groups on there for just about anything you could possibly need. So in my space, you know, we will host uh, a site for Click. We will host a site for ThoughtSpot. We will host a site for analytics in general. We'll host one for innovation. And there's lots of other ones as well. And people can connect to people and share ideas and ask questions, you know, and then connect to other people. And then as far as the people not wanting to look, you know, uh, stupid or feel inadequate around their data, something that I've noticed too is it's it's really about your your character and how you engage other people as well. I have a lot of meetings with a lot of senior people uh, on a regular basis. Like I said, you know, our main job is Outlook and Zoom now, right? And talking about all these things. But if you're an active listener, right, if you're empathetic, uh, if you have high emotional intelligence, it's natural for people to reach out to you when they don't know something. And that's how you be an effective leader is making yourself vulnerable so that they understand that they can be vulnerable too. And I can't tell you the number of times somebody will come out to me after a call and ask me like what an acronym stands for, right? Or, uh, well, where did this data come from? Or what do we use the data for? Because to your point, all these people do not want to feel stupid. We're not going to, I mean, how many times have you been on a call or a demo and, and it ends with any questions and then crickets, Silence. Yeah. yeah. There's always questions, but no one wants to feel stupid, but they'll then reach out to different people. And it's, if you can tap into that, if you can tap into what's happening offline, um, then the next time you come back together as a group, you realize that whole group is further along. 
Yeah. So, so it sounds like if you were to recommend to the more technical people, definitely ban the acronyms. (laughs) Yeah. Or you, or define them. So don't just assume your audience knows all the acronyms, right? Um, Interesting enough, uh, uh, we have uh, affinity groups at at work as well. So we have, you know, there's the um, Veterans Network, right? There's Black Heritage Network. There's, you know, um, we now have a new one that we just launched, the the Ability Network. You know, I happen to belong to the Generations Network, which is, you know, we've got five generations of people in the workforce now. So how do you get, you know, baby boomers and millennials and everybody working together? And that's one of the things where data and data literacy and that human connection really comes into play because you'll have somebody like myself who's, you know, I've got 25 years in the bank and I can tell you the flow from beginning to end of, you know, the life cycle of a trade and, and things of that nature. But I, I can't sit down and write, you know, uh, I can talk about it, but I can't sit down from scratch and just do some Python code, right? Meanwhile, you're going to have a, an analyst or a financial student graduating from college who's coming into the workforce who's in his first financial position and he's a super whiz and knows like 12 languages, right? Then he can program all the kind of stuff, but he doesn't know or she doesn't know the, 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 the market, right? And the domain, the The processes, yeah, that tribal knowledge. Yeah. Right. So that's another thing too, is like, how do you take a person with a technical aptitude and a person with a domain expertise aptitude and put them together so that they both benefit. And that's, that's really how you, you can help change the culture from within, almost from the bottom up, right? And that's where the communities come into play. Is that also forming yes. the cross-functional teams as yep. well? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. great. Exactly. So Chris, I know you're passionate about data literacy. How, <laughs> how are you going to amplify your message here? I understand you have a new podcast in the works. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, in the works is the key, is the key. So I was... Um, I, I was, you know, uh, humbled to be asked to, <laughs> to come on your podcast because I actually do listen to to that. It's right there in my in my list next to you know um, Transformation Nation, right? Oh, there the you go. Those guys. Thanks, so, good company. I'll take that company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's right there, right there on my list. And I was like, you know, the, everybody seems to be doing it. And uh, you know, if you haven't noticed it, I I, I like to talk <laughs> and ramble on. Um, I never got seconds at dinner because uh, <laughs> everybody would eat while I talked. But uh, yeah, so my my good friend, Brandon Hecker, who uh, worked with me at City, he's the definition of the journey that we're all we're all on. And, you know, he's left and went for startup and is now, you know, outside of City, but we're still very connected to my my best friend. So he and I got together and we were like, you know, we talk all the time like this about these types of conversations around common data sense, right? It's like, you know, point and click. It's like, you know, oh, I need this data, but how do you transform it? You know, what does it mean to normalize data? You know, we talk about all these things like people know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but if they don't, then it's so we were like, well, I wonder if common data sense is a thing. Is it out there? Uh, it wasn't there. It, there was, there's so much on data literacy, but there wasn't like a common data sense. So yeah. So we did that. So I was like, well, hey, I just bought 
commondatasense.org. <laughs> good, good. Okay, so there we go. It took you a while to get to yes. the URL. Okay, yes, we yes. got it now. We got yes, it. Yes. So new so podcast. Like I said, in the works, right? One of the things to practice okay. is, the, is the pitch. <laughs> yes. Well, so, okay. Yeah. So let me cut to the chase. You have a new podcast coming out. <laughs> yes. Common Data Sense. We look forward to that. I think of um, pod, good podcasts quality content is like great books. We need more, mm -hmm. just slightly different perspectives or a different way of telling the story. So best of luck with that. Chris, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Um, I always like to end with, with a question, if, if you'll go there. You know, um, we, I think as an industry, we have so much to be grateful for. Like the, our employment, the demand for data and analytics talent has never been greater. But if you think um, beyond the, the traditional, the canned stock answer, as true as it is, what are you most grateful for? Oh, wow. And you mentioned your mom already yes. several times. So of course, yes. you're grateful that your mom let you put together and take apart things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I guess, you know, it, it, when you look back, I mean, obviously, there's health, right? Yeah, you got to take care. Absolutely. Got to put the mask on your face first. You know, take care of your health. Um, I, I, for those listening, I went, I went vegan last year. Did so that's, you? That was quite hmm. a journey. I just got my blood work back this, uh, yesterday and everything was fantastic. So start, I'm very help. We should all be thankful for the health that we yes. have, especially in these times, right? Absolutely. But for the most part, you know, the thing I'm most thankful for is the, the, the influencers in my life, like my mom, like my team, who I learn from every day. Or my, my wife, Shana, who allows me to be me, but makes sure I'm taking my own advice, like my boss, right? Like the people Is like that Michael? Michael. Who connected yep. us? Okay. My, yeah, yeah, Michael Alva, who connected us. I mean, you know, he's the one that, who always tells me not to be afraid uh, of failure and, as long as you learn from it. So this year I was all about, you know, inspire, connect, and grow. But, you know, I think going into next year, it's, it's, uh, uh, win or learn, right? Because you don't lose unless you don't learn from your mistakes and move on and, yeah. and don't fear that. So just look for those people that, that inspire you and find a way to connect with them and then pay, pay it forward. I yeah. think that's what I'm most Inspire, grateful for. Inspire, connect, connect and, grow and grow and pay it forward. Yeah. So well said. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on The Data Chief. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been great. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or listen to more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout on Twitter at BI Scorecard. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. 
Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.